All right, mind your own biscuits and life will be gravy. There's a lot of things that that song makes me feel. One of them is hungry. I feel hungry. Uh, well, the reason we do that song is because we're going to talk about something today that I think, I think we're pretty good at as a church, but part of why we're good at this is we take the time to talk about it once in a while. Uh, as you could probably guess from listening to that song today, we're, we're going to talk a little bit this morning about why it's so important that we as Christ followers are not judging other people. As, as people who are part of the body of Christ, uh, the hands and feet of Jesus on this earth, we are not to judge other people. And one reason that is so important, I'll tell you, we're living in a world where there are a lot of opinions, aren't there? And a lot of opinions treated as certainties. And that has resulted in great chasms as, as people have been told, uh, told they need to take sides and to take stands. And as, they, as they've been told that, they've been told they can't just stand for something, but you've got to stand against someone else, against someone. Uh, that's the world we live in right now. All the more reason for us as Christians to not judge other people. I will just say, I've never lived in a time as judgy as this one. Judgmental is probably the right word, but I like judgy too. We all know what judgy means, right? Everyone is judging someone else. Uh, two years ago, uh, there was a mom in Oregon who, who quickly ran into the store to buy a gallon of milk, and she thought it was safe to leave her four-year-old in the back seat for a few minutes. However you feel about that, whether you would do that, not why I'm bringing it up. I'm bringing it up because a thief saw her unlocked car still running, hopped in the car, and drove off stealing it with her child in the back seat. Uh, the thief got down the road and realized there was a child sitting behind him, and so he drove back to the store, returned the child to his mother, uh, ordered the mom to take your child, which she was happy to do, and then he lectured the mom on what an irresponsible mother she had been. <laughs> he scolded her, he threatened to call the police on her, and then he drove off in the stolen car. It's a true story. It's just to say everyone is on their high horse. Right now, in our, everyone thinks they have the moral high ground and a right to judge everyone else. We're going to talk about that today. Why, when we see somebody doing something we think is wrong or sinful, we shouldn't do that. But actually, I want to, I want to narrow in a little bit more. I want to talk about what it is to judge somebody when what they're doing isn't necessarily sin. Have you noticed that we'll even judge people for the decisions that they make that, that are just decisions we wouldn't make or, or even who they are? Uh, a long time ago, there was an advice columnist named Ann Landers. Some of you old enough to remember who Ann Landers is? Yeah. And uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, people would write to her newspaper and they would ask this woman her advice on, on what they should do or why they should feel a certain way in a situation. And one day, a grocery store checkout clerk wrote Ann Landers to complain that she had seen people buy luxury food items like birthday cakes and bags of shrimp with their food stamps. And in her letter, she, she said she thought that all these people who treated themselves to these kinds of non-necessities were lazy and wasteful. I mean, shrimp and birthday cakes. All right, a few weeks later, the entire column for the day was devoted to other people responding to this grocery clerk and their letters. And one woman, one woman wrote in and said this, I didn't buy a cake, but I did buy a bag of shrimp with food stamps. So what? My husband had been working at a plant for 15 years when it shut down. The shrimp casserole I made was for our wedding anniversary dinner, and it lasted us three days. Perhaps the grocery clerk who criticized that woman would have a different view of life after walking a mile in my shoes. 
Another woman wrote in and said, I'm the woman who bought the $17 cake and paid for it with food stamps. I thought the checkout woman in the store would burn a hole through me with her eyes. What she didn't know is the cake was for my little girl's birthday. It will be her last. She has bone cancer and will probably be gone within six to eight months. And all of a sudden, you see the problem with judging someone else, right? And in, in some cases, judging someone for something that you think is so wrong, the problem is that often if you knew what was going on, their choices couldn't be more right. You never know what other people are dealing with, who they are, what they've gone through, what they're going through. And as much as you and I in a moment might feel like, like somebody else is doing something wrong, shrimp and birthday cake with food stamps? Okay, maybe, maybe sometimes right and wrong isn't for you and me to decide. Now, as much as I think that we're good at this, uh, not judging thing around crosswinds, and, and let me tell you, I wouldn't be here if I didn't think we're good at it. I wouldn't want to be a part of this church. As much as we're good at not judging our neighbors, let me ask you, how are you when it comes to judging people who are Christians, other Christians, other people who, who follow Christ like you, or at least they say they do? Can I tell you I've noticed a weird thing that happens, I've seen this in myself, as I strive to follow Jesus, I look at somebody else who says that they're a Jesus follower, and I notice they make some different choices than I make as a Jesus follower, and they do some things that I would not do, and what I notice, a judginess starts to creep in. See, I'm good with not judging my neighbor three doors down who doesn't know Jesus. The reason they do the things they do is because they don't have God in their lives like me. But when somebody who knows Jesus like me does something wrong, okay, judgment starts to come out. Most of us find something in us that wants to do that, and it leads to some problems. And I'm going to just be really candid with you this morning about this. Let's just call it. We live in a world that feels judged by Christians, and they have a good reason to feel that way. They have been. You know someone who feels judged. And then, even within Christendom, within the church at large, we find Christians who feel judged by Christians. Think about that. They're part of the family, but they get the sense the family doesn't really want them around or like them. Both of those are problems we face today, but there's a third one. And this, oh, this might be a, a new learning today for many of you in 2023. Here it is. Even those of us who are least judgy in crosswinds, I consider that to be true of you. Today, we have been hoodwinked into using language and concepts that are actually counterproductive to the cause of Christ and often lead to judgment and enmity. Now, that is a mouthful, and yes, I did use the word hoodwinked, and I don't even know what it means, but it felt right. <laughs> Let me simplify that last one, all right? Today, you and I have been told that we need to believe some things, and stand for some things that if we're standing for them, we're standing for the cause of Christ. But the problem is, the way we are told to stand pits us against somebody who's being told to stand for the cause of Christ the opposite way. And the truth is, the truth is, the people who told us to stand for these things in the first place and stand against other people, they do not understand the cause of Christ. They're using your allegiance to Jesus to get you on their side, whatever side. And so, I wanna show you something in the Bible today that I am praying unhoodwinks you, if you've been hoodwinked. I wanna just reveal to you these language, this language, these concepts we've been given that make enemies. And, and I wanna share with you what the cause of Christ would really have for you instead. 
Okay, before we get into all of that, I made the case earlier, every one of us has been judgy at some point. Let me make the case that every one of us also knows what it feels like to be judged, even by other Christians, every one. I want you to watch this video with real people who go to Crosswinds with you. I'm Margaret Ann, I'm a Christ follower, and I'm 42, and I'm single. I have felt judged for my singleness in the past when people say things like, just marry the next one, just marry the next one, or that I'm too focused on my career and I don't set aside enough time to go and find someone. Honestly, the way that it has made me feel is it makes me feel like I'm not good enough just as myself. I'm Jeanette, a follower of a Christ. I feel that as a black woman, I have been categorized, stereotyped, and assumptions are being made about my capabilities and what type of goals I would have in my life. To give you an example, when I was a little girl, I shared that I wanted to be a nurse. And I was told, no, that would be way too hard for you, Jeanette. Fast forward, when I did become a registered nurse, one of my colleagues wanted to give me a compliment. And she said, Jeanette, you're such a good nurse, I don't even think of you as black. So once again, I felt categorized, stereotyped, and assumptions were being made. My name is Nick, and I'm a follower of Christ. I am also a police officer. Sometimes I feel judged because people often think of me as uh, something that I want to hurt them, harm them, or I'm racist. But especially with the social media and media the way it is lately, but in all reality, it's the truth is that I want to help people and help make the community a safer place. Hi, I am Preeti. I am a follower of Christ. I feel stereotyped because one, I grew up in a Christian home in India, and two, I had a church wedding. Um, our wedding was beautiful. However, when I moved to the U.S. in 2016, uh, people had assumed that I am Hindu by religion and we would have a week-long Indian traditional ceremonies. Um, I felt stereotyped with all the assumptions, being a Christian from India and not being Hindu. Hi, my name is Kim and I'm a follower of Christ. I have been judged by the church for being gay. I was asked not to lead groups after leading groups for a few years. Um, and my family has told me that I was going to hell for being gay. I'm Dave, and I'm a follower of Christ. I'm pro-life. I believe in the sanctity of life for the unborn. There are those who may have differing opinions who would judge me and think that I'm not willing to listen to or discuss the issue with people who disagree. Nothing can be further from the truth. My name is Carrie, and I am a follower of Christ, and I'm also pro-choice. Sometimes I feel judged by my Christian friends for not being Christian enough, and sometimes by my pro-choice friends for not being pro-choice enough. I'm Andrea, and I am a follower of Christ. As a woman who's a pastor, I have often felt judged by people who believe that women should not be pastors. I was invited once to speak at a student retreat that was all girls, and about a month later, they contacted me and uninvited me because they felt that having a woman who's a pastor would send the wrong message. I'm Carol, I'm a follower of Christ. 
Sometimes I feel judged because of my political views. I'm a Republican, and with that, there are some stereotypes about what I should agree or disagree with. People make assumptions that aren't always true about where I stand on certain issues. My name's Hunter, and I'm a follower of Christ. I feel judged because a lot of my ideas about the world tend to be left-leaning, maybe liberal or progressive, and people often just ascribe me as a blue Democrat. Uh, and I grew up in a pretty conservative part of Southern California, so friends and family back home will just say, oh, Hunter, you're a Bay Area hipster millennial snowflake. And honestly, a lot of the time that's made in jest, but I feel like there's a kernel of truth in it. And those labels just don't really encapsulate me as a whole. Would you thank those folks with me for being willing to just share about themselves on that? Okay. As I said, these days we all, all feel judged in some way, don't we? Or, or misunderstood. Every one of us can make a case for why that thing somebody presumed about us uh, isn't true. Or, or, or that somebody thought the worst of us and then they positioned themselves as better than us. Or considered us not a real follower of Christ because of something we are that's different, or something we believe that's different, or something we do. Now, before we look at this passage together, I wanna to show you this passage. Let me just say, one of the most challenging areas for Christians is when it comes to judging other Christians. It's not just when we see Christians do something that we think is wrong, we wouldn't do. It's when the thing the other person is doing is something that is in dispute. Would you say that with me at the count of three? One, two, three, in dispute. What I mean by in dispute is that Christians disagree with each other on what the obedient thing to do is, on what it looks like to follow Jesus in that certain area. They disagree on what the Bible says or what God might have for us in a certain area. Now, as I say that, let's just recognize something. More often than not, people on either side of an in dispute issue would have you believe they're not in dispute, there is no dispute. There's only one proper Christian side and it's their way. They're usually 100% convinced that they're the one who is following God. And th this is why I say, it's one of the most challenging things, judgment coming over issues of dispute. Because you and I, here, you and I can disagree on which flavor of ice cream is best, but I know that that's subjective. And I know it's not authoritative. I like cookie dough, uh, doesn't mean you should or even have to like it at all, right? But the Bible, that is not subjective. It's not a free for all. It's not a thing you just get to decide what it means. God and the authors had an intention. They had an intention behind what they wrote. And this is authoritative in my life, the Bible. And so if we dispute what we think it means, it's likely that one of us is wrong. We can't both be right on this. And so because of that, we insist this issue not in dispute, but it is. You know what makes it in dispute? Another Christian or more likely another group of Christians who also find the Bible authoritative and not subjective, they studied it and they came to a different understanding than the one that you came to. They think it means something different. And now the family of Christians has something to dispute. Doesn't mean you're not sure of your own understanding. You might be 100% sure and I might be 100% sure, but do you know what happens when you combine you and me and our 100s? 100% plus 100% equals 50% certainty. That's bad math, but it's true. Um, 
I lurk around on Reddit every once in a while. Reddit is like a set of forums where people have conversations on different topics. You know, uh, Golden State Warriors have a forum, people writing their thoughts on that last game we saw. Oh my gosh. Um, there's a forum on there as well called Blunder Years. That's one of my favorites, uh, where people get to post pictures of themselves from like the 80s and the 90s. There's blundery pictures, always fun to look at. But uh, then there are a number of other forums I follow. One is called Christianity. Uh, which I really love because it's a cross-section of people from all these different streams of Christianity. Uh, Greek Orthodox, Catholic, Baptist, Lutheran, fascinating conversations there. Well, recently, I started following one called True Christian. And do you know what True Christian is? It's a forum where people talk about issues of great dispute and why they're standing on the side that they're standing on and why it's the only possible correct side. And anyone who disagrees is not a true Christian. By the way, this is why there are over 43,000 Christian denominations worldwide. There were only 500 in the year 1800. It grew to 39,000 by 2008. By 2025, that number is expected to grow to 55,000 denominations. Gordon Conwell Seminary estimates that a new Christian denomination is formed every 10 and a half hours. That's 2.3 denominations a day. In 1992, it was one a week. Now it's 2.3 per day. Why? Disputes. Oh, well, we interpret the Bible differently? Better go start my own church. I can't worship with you anymore because we land on different understandings of what the Bible says. And, and, and what happens, my friends, when you see that, what that is? It is judgment. When you say to somebody, you're not a true Christian because you don't see it the way that I see it, that is judgment. Either way, somebody understands an issue of dispute. When you say that, it is judgment. And here's why this is so relevant. Choose this, not that. You crosswinds are faced with a decision every day as to how you will respond or treat or live alongside somebody who follows Jesus a little differently than you who believes some piece of their Christianity different than you, who interprets the Bible differently than you. And let me show you in scripture the instructions we are given for how to choose in those situations, for what to choose when that happens. What should your response be? Romans chapter 14, let's start at verse one. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over, would you read this with me? Disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Okay, something I ought to explain. Paul is writing to a group of Christians, and in this passage, he's talking about a dispute that they have been having over food. Now, as I say that, it sounds kind of silly. That actually sounds like my cookie dough ice cream example from before, but it's not. You see, some of the Christians have been eating food or meat that other people sacrificed to false gods and idols. And in the Hebrew law, in the Old Testament, this was strictly forbidden. This was a big deal. It was not a, hey, try to stay away from that food. This was a never do this. Uh, in fact, remember two weeks ago, we talked about Daniel not eating the king's delicious food in prison, and he asked for vegetables and water instead, it's very possible that one reason that he wouldn't eat it, it might have been sacrificed to idols. Daniel, willing to risk his life and other people's lives over this rule. And the people of Jesus' time, Paul who wrote this, knew this. They knew it. We're not supposed to do this. And by the way, our ancestors like Daniel were willing to possibly die over this issue. 
But some of these Christians who had formerly adhered to that law thought differently. They said, you know, Jesus came to fulfill the law and set us free from it. And so food is just food. Let's eat. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. And they dove right into the food. Some Christians, many, a growing number of Christians in their day, came to the conclusion that in light of Jesus' death on the cross, eating food sacrificed to idols was okay. Again, food sounds silly. It was not. God's people had died over this issue. There are far sillier things today that we dispute and divide over. We decide we can't be together anymore because we disagree. So Paul sees this church judging each other, and the people, they want Paul to settle it. Settle it once and for all, Paul. What is the right thing? Which one of us is right? Verse 2. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Would you look at that word with me for a second? Accepted. Let's all say accepted. One, two, three, accepted. God has accepted them. Let's keep going. Verse five. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Look at that line. Each of them should be convinced. I love that line. He says, you say this, you say this, and you both should be fully convinced in your mind. You both should be 100% on whatever side you are on. He doesn't really answer who's right and wrong. He just says, whatever you are, be 100% that. But whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. In other words, one of you can believe what you're doing is the right thing and the other person is sinning. And the other person can believe the opposite. Whatever you do, recognize you're not doing it for the other person. You're doing it for God. By the way, if you look at the Greek behind this verse, what it really translates to is mind your own biscuits and life will be gravy. <laughs> actually says that in the Greek. I went to lots of seminary for that. No, what he's saying is the other person is not choosing the opposite to spite you. I know it feels like that, but it's not. They feel responsible to God for their choice. They're doing it unto him, so stop judging them. He continues, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Verse 13, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Isn't that interesting? Stumbling block or obstacle. What Paul says right there is when you judge somebody, you might create a barrier to them knowing Jesus, or if they already know Jesus, to them experiencing Jesus. How? Why? Because if they're going to experience Jesus, you know how they're going to do it? through you, the body of Christ. You're willing to risk that? Somebody experiencing Jesus, you're, you're willing to hold them back from that with your stand against something? Verse 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. In short, what he's saying is, you are not responsible to judge your brother or sister in Christ. You are responsible, you are 
to make every effort, God wants to see that you make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Okay, you get it, that sounds simple enough, but can we talk about that? what that would look like in our world today, our churches, to do what Paul's talking about here? What are the modern day disputes that people judge each other for today? What are the modern day equivalents of food, sacrifice to idols? All right, let's think of some. Um, who you vote for. I've talked here before about how in 2016, I saw Facebook posts that suggested if you voted for Hillary, you couldn't really be a Christian. I saw other posts that said if you voted for Donald Trump, you couldn't be one either. Uh, Another one, whether women should preach in church. Now this one's funny, I'm so used to it. For over 30 years, that's been true of crosswinds, but there are passages in the Bible that say a a woman should not be allowed to teach or even speak in church. And while we interpret those passages and practice it a certain way around crosswinds, it is a dispute out there. A Couple thousand years after these passages are written, people are still disputing their meaning. They haven't solved the dispute yet. But my guess is it'll still be in dispute 500 years from now. Abortion. What does the Bible say about life when it begins? Which lives matter more? Unborn lives, the mother's life? Lots of dispute among Christians on this. And I'll tell you, abortion is one that for many creates a huge dividing line of judgment on both sides. Where you stand determines true Christian or not a true Christian. How about same-sex relationships? I grew up being taught there's only one way to understand these passages that talk about any kind of same-sex anything, and it's condemning, that God condemns them. But guess what? That's in dispute. Lots of different positions within Christendom on what those passages are referring to and what they mean. So here's what happens. People disagree with each other on any number of these things in the church, and then rather than doing what Paul said, which was what? Make every effort to have peace and mutual edification. Rather than that, they sort. Okay, let's talk about sorting. This is a passion of mine. Can I, can I tell you, not Skittles, just sorting. Can I tell you something fascinating that pastors in America are seeing in the past five or six years? Sorting. Here's what happens, what happens. George Floyd gets killed and it creates a cultural moment, and people feel like they have to stand on either the side of Black Lives Mattering or on the side of the police. When I say that, I don't mean the ones who did what they did to George Floyd. I just mean they either have to support the police or believe in Black Lives Mattering, and so they pick their side as if those are mutually exclusive. But also what's happening as part of that is they're told they have to stand against the other side. If somebody feels the opposite of you, then they are now the enemy, and so what they do when they find that their pastor or the people in their small group or, or, or people on social media from their church, when somebody says something the opposite side from them, what they do is they go to a different church where everyone is the same side on that issue. Okay, guess what happens? Six months, one year later, there's another cultural moment. COVID, 
COVID shut churches down from having services. And, and now churches are allowed to have in-person services again, but you're required to wear masks. And that, that becomes a new thing to have to decide where you stand. Am I pro-mask mandates or anti-mask mandates? And again, our very judgy world would tell you, you have to not just stand for one of those, but you gotta stand against whoever disagrees. Well, guess what? The church you found full of people who thought exactly like you after George Floyd's death, now those people are all split over masks. And so we soared again to a new place where we agree on George Floyd and we agree on masks. But then, but then, vaccines. <laughs> Better sort again. But then, Roe v. Wade being overturned. Better sort again. And, and before you know it, people don't go to church anywhere. And you know why? Because they have sorted themselves out of it altogether. And I wonder if God is looking at us and he's saying, what part of make every effort did you not understand? Make every effort means every effort. You do what leads to peace with each other and mutual edification. Do you know what I think our problem is? This is what I meant earlier when I said we've been hoodwinked into using messed up language and concepts. We have been told this very unchristlike idea that we are to use the language of judgment. Let's talk about that word for a second. Isn't judgment essentially deciding whether someone is guilty or innocent? I mean, I know generally we use it when we're talking a, a, a negative way. Like if you're judging someone, you are condemning them. And it is that, it is that. But let's recognize something else for a second. Judgment can also be declaring someone innocent. Judgment can be declaring somebody is proper and right and upstanding and morally good. And get this, either of those, condemning somebody as bad or affirming someone as morally good is judgy. And here's where we have been hoodwinked. Even that, even, even calling someone innocent or good is not what Jesus would have us do with each other. There is this moment in the Bible that a ruler comes to Jesus and he calls him good teacher. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered, why do you call me good? Nobody's good except for God alone. And it's a weird passage because Jesus is God. Why would he say that? And Jesus was good. Why would he suggest that maybe he's not? He's just being difficult, Jesus. And the reason is because the Pharisees, here's why he did it, because the Pharisees had been going around not just telling people that they were wrong, passing judgment on what was wrong and who's a sinner and condemning people as bad, but the Pharisees would walk around and they would declare somebody as good. He's bad, you're good. Affirming people as good, passing judgment that other way. And in this moment, in his response to good teacher, Jesus essentially says, let's not do that. Let's not do that. Let's not condemn each other. Let's not affirm each other because you are all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. As Paul said, God is the one who's gonna condemn and affirm, not you. Jesus says stop using the language or the concept even of condemnation or affirmation. You are being like the Pharisees when you do that, when you affirm. So what is the alternative? What are we to do? Paul writes in the very next chapter, right after all that stuff about food and holy days and peace and mutual edification and not condemning, Paul writes this. Look at this. Romans 15, 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. The alternative to judgment, judgment, which is either condemning or affirming, which is me making a decision about you, which I have no place to do. The alternative is 
accepting, accepting you regardless of what decision that you have made. Paul actually says right here, you have been hoodwinked into thinking there are only two ways to handle disputes, but there is a third way in this dispute stuff. Paul says you think you've only got two choices. You can either affirm somebody or you can condemn them, but neither is the way of Jesus. The real way of Jesus is the third way. It's to accept and just do away with the judgment thing altogether. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't personally take a side. Of course you can, and you should. And as Paul said, be 100% committed to it and do it unto the Lord. But also, no matter what side you take, accept those who differ from you. I was thinking about this. You know another word for accept? It is embrace. Embrace them. Can I tell you about something that happened about a month ago and then actually happened again a few weeks ago? Um, there are two guys in our church. One is pro-life and one is pro-choice. The one who is pro-life, very much involved in leading in the sanctity of life movement. And they met at this Skills for Bridging the Divide workshop we had here a few months back. And, and they decided to get to know each other. And so they went out for a beer. And they got to hear each other's stories a little bit. And they, they talked about their differences. And at the end, the one person said to the other, I meet with a group of people who all like to get together. We talk about our pro-life stance and the things we're doing to mobilize around this. And would you, a pro-choice person, want to come to our meeting and see what we do and then tell us like, why you feel the way that you feel? And this person said, I would love that. And twice now, you can applaud for that, yes. And, and uh, twice now, that pro-choice person has gone to their meetings and they've all sat down and discussed their differences, sometimes getting emotional, like there's some heat to it at times, but each person feeling listened to and understood and respected and then walking across the courtyard to our service and worshiping in the same room and learning from the Bible together. I cannot help but think that God looks at that and he says, oh, that's my family. Those are my kids. That's what I want them to do, the third way, the Jesus way. Not condemning each other, not affirming each other, just accepting. This series, Choose This, Not That, we're giving you some things that you can pre-decide ahead of time. That's the whole point, right? When I am faced with this decision someday, I already committed, I already resolved in advance that I am gonna choose this, and I wanna give you a pre-commitment you can make right now. I will choose acceptance over judgment. Not, I'll choose affirmation. Not, I will choose condemnation. I will choose acceptance. Now, as we get ready to wrap up today, I wanna to ask you to watch a video. And I'll just tell you, it's a little longer than the usual video we show around here, but it is so important in light of what we've been talking about. This week, I sat down with some people in our church who I know have had some experience with people judging them. And I asked them to share a little bit of their stories. I am honored that they said yes. These people took great risk to share with you. Um, would you watch as, as you consider what we just spoke about? Well, you guys, thank you for being willing to sit down with me and with Crosswinds who will be watching this and listening, this, listening to this. Um, I just want to recognize right off the bat that there is a vulnerability in sharing what you're going to share with us today. And um, I just, I just want to honor you for that. That's a, that's a really important thing. 
and uh, it's meaningful, and you don't enter into this conversation lightly and, and without risk, I imagine. Um, so uh, let me introduce you real quick, and then we've got some questions for you. So yeah. this is Jerry down here. Uh, this is Mark. These two are partners. You guys have been together how many years now? 22 years now. 22 yeah. years. Two children and two dogs later. <laughs> so. And this is Kim. And Kim, how long have you been a part of Crosswinds? Uh, quite a while. Yeah, longer I, than I've been a part of Crosswinds. I was actually there the first day you spoke over at the other place, yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, I liked it. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, good. Uh, we're going to get a chance to listen to a little bit of your story today, and I've got some questions for you. But, but the first one, and maybe the most important one, and I want to I start with you on this one, Mark. Um, can you talk to us about what it means, what it's meant for you to be a Jesus follower and the significance of faith in your life? I've tried to imagine my life without Christ. And the best analogy I can think of is an astronaut. You know, when they're doing the spacewalk and they're tethered to the station. Yeah. Life without Christ to me would be as if we lost that tether and I'm just tumbling backwards in space endlessly, no hope. Mm. It's, it's so foundational, it's everything I am. It's the first um, form of my identity. Um, I love Jesus and he's taken me through everything and he's brought me through. I'm sure he will bring me through a lot more. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I always grew up in Sunday school yeah. and uh, church and whatnot. And I kind of fell away in my teenage years, I guess all teenagers do. And then a, a friend of mine started going to an Assemblies of God church and invited me to come. I think I was 16. Came altar call, got saved, and, uh, you know, I've been born again ever since then. I love the Lord, and I, you know, I want my kids to grow up to, to, to love Him. So, to me, it's kind of like an anchor in life. Yeah. So, I pretty much grew up in the church. It was college when I felt like it really, the faith became my own. Hmm. I just participated in everything uh, that I could get my hands on to, to make it my own. Well, that, it leads into a question I wanted to ask all three of you, which is what, is, what does it look like or what has it looked like for you to, to wrestle with being gay and being a Christian? Mm -hmm. You know, I talk to people who uh, think that those two things are mutually exclusive. Um, around the same time, in, I was in college. Yeah. I happened to be with uh, uh, my first partner at the time. Mm -hmm and kind of like wrestling with the whole concept of gay, Christian. Hmm. And it was just like, I didn't feel like I fit in one category and I didn't feel like I fit in the other category. And God and I were just wrestling hmm. with it. Mm -hmm. And driving home one day, just having this conversation with God. And it was just like, you know, I died for you, Kim. That's, hmm. I've, that's what I did for you. And I went, no, but wait, you know, I'm gay. No, you, no. Mm -hmm. And he goes, no, I died for you. I just felt a whole piece about it that all of a sudden it was just like a light bulb came on and that I, I was chosen and I was, he died for me. And it was just like, okay, I'm there. That was. Even as you say that, I get chills. To think that as part of your own experience of coming out, realizing who you are, there was this moment of grace 
in that yeah. and acceptance. I have read pretty much any book you can point to on pro and uh, you know for and against um, mm -hmm. gay Christians. Mm -hmm. But it was a period of at least a year of reading everything, both sides. And I had made a promise to God, I would do what he wanted me to do. The bottom line after all of that was, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. Mm. And through that year, I felt closer to him than ever because that's when I needed him the most in my entire life. So I know, I know it's hard for some folks to think, it, is it possible to be gay and Christian? Are you just fooling yourself? Uh, you're not really a Christian, you'll figure it out. But I can speak only to my own experience. I am gay and I am a Christian. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I've got uh, another question I want to start with you on. Okay. Uh, which is, what has it been like to be gay, be a Christian, in the context of the church world or with other Christians? Have you experienced judgment from other Christians? What does that look like? In, in your life? Yeah, it has not been easy or pretty, I would say. Um, personally, my family, I've been told that I'm going to hell. Um, Still to this day? Yes, hmm. yes. Sorry for that. Um, in the church itself, I kind of felt like the rules all of a sudden changed on me. When you came out? When I came out, yeah. Tell us about that. So I was uh, facilitating small groups, and um, I had just recently split from my 15, 16 year relationship with my partner, and I wanted to do divorce care. Mm -hmm. And was told that I couldn't do divorce care because the church yeah. didn't want to make it look like they approved of that relationship, that kind of relationship. Yeah. So I had to take the materials home and do it by myself. Mm. Let me let me interrupt for a second and say, this was Crosswinds. Yes. That this, this, was, that was this church. Yes. How many years ago would that have been? It was at the old the the old place. So it's yeah. been it's been a minute. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a minute. I am sorry for that. Thank you. On, on behalf of our church that's watching, and I'm just one person, but can I just say, I am so sorry yes. that somebody Thank wouldn't you. let you, Thank you go to our divorce care class. And, and I know at the same time you were leading one of our step one groups. We used to have step one was what we called kind Back of a, then. Yes, yeah. uh, support can, group ministry. And when I finally did approach the director at the time and say, hey, by the way, I'm gay, um, I was told that I could no longer facilitate those groups. You're a second-class Christian. I was a second-class Christian. <laughs> and the tragedy of it is there's so many gay folks we know mm -hmm. who will not step into a church exactly. because of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's, that's the greatest loss. They themselves have been hurt by the church, or they know somebody that has been hurt. All of our friends, none of our gay friends, go to churches. Yeah. Not, they're convinced that God hates them because <clears throat> the church has told them so. Right. Kim, um, you're here at Crosswinds now. Yes. So what, what was that journey like? Because there was a period where you said, all right, well, I'm not going to be a part of Crosswinds anymore, right? I did leave Crosswinds for a while. I left the church probably a good five to eight years. And it just so happens that I came back to Crosswinds for 
to have a lunch with a friend and you were speaking and your message was on homosexuality and acceptance. Mm. And so then you and I sat down and chatted about it. I remember, it. that was in that courtyard, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I pretty much have called Crosswinds my home church ever since then. And you've been leading here now? Yes. How about you guys? What's it been like as far as judgment? Have you experienced that in church? And, and what's that look like? Well, I can, I can speak to the opposite of that. My holiness grandparents. Um, see, I never officially came out to them because I thought they couldn't handle it. So um, I brought Mark home to meet my parents who were living there in the same city and uh, to meet my grandparents. And uh, when I brought Mark into the, into the room, he jumped out of the chair and went over to the screen door. Gave, he had these big ham-fisted, huge, hand. huge hands. <laughs> and he's just like, you're a friend of Gerald's. I'm happy to see you, boy. Come on in. And in he came, and he was part of the family. And um, I notice you're getting emotional yeah, as you say that. Yeah, because it's just like acceptance, you know. He, Mark was always part of the family. Always. I think Jerry is very fortunate in that he had um, a relatively positive experience coming out. I have an uncle, my, my mother's brother, who, after I came out, one of my uncles passed away. I went to the funeral, that uncle was there, and I went to shake his hand, and he had the most disgusted look on his face. He turned his back to me, and he walked away. Mm. At my uncle's funeral, in front of my mother. What does it mean for you to be a part of a church, Crosswinds, that has people here who are both, on the same page as you as they understand these passages of scripture about same-sex relationships and then others who read them and have a much more traditional understanding of these passages and would think that God frowns on these kind of relationships. What does it mean for you to be in a church full of both of those kinds of people? And, and I guess the, 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 second part of those, the second part of that question is, what are your hopes in a church like that? I think if you look at the New Testament church, they struggled, they argued, they fought. They had so many topics they were working through. But they were still a church, and they still stayed, and they still worked through it. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what the church should do. You know, when we were looking for a church, I sent a lot of emails out to different churches. These were emails that said, you know, um, we're looking to, to find a church home. I'd like you to know we are a married gay couple. We have two children. Mm-hmm. And about half of them just didn't respond. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority of the others who did respond responded very lovingly, but the tone was clearly, you can be a second class. Um, love, the sin, love the sinner, hate yeah. the sin. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Yeah. So, you know, I, I wrote this, this other pastor at Crosswinds, and, and he responded, and um, his name was Chris. <laughs> and, and so, you know, we got to then. We got together and we had a conversation, yeah. and here we are, you yeah. know, four or five years later. Kim, how about you? What, what would be your hope for Crosswinds? I find it very interesting that uh, the church that once hurt me is mm. now a church that is kind of helping me heal and becoming the woman that I think God is wanting me to become. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you gave us another chance. Me too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, thank you, you guys. 
I love all three of you. I'm so grateful you're part of our congregation. We are blessed for having you here. You all make us better. And even just this conversation, you being you, sharing some of your story and just letting us get on the other side of it to be able to see who you are, what Jesus means to you has been significant for this congregation. So, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, that, that video is, is 13 minutes of a 45-minute conversation we had that was incredibly meaningful to me. Uh, if you want to watch an extended 45-minute version, it's going to be available on our website as soon as this service is over. But, but let me give you another thing to resolve out of that this morning, all right? Here's, here's another one. I will choose love over vilification. Love my neighbor, which we all know, greatest commandment, it's right up there. Love my neighbor doesn't just mean love the person next door or love the person who agrees with me. Love means to love the person who disagrees and is on the other side. Okay, get this. You know how much Jesus loved you? You were on the other side. Romans 5 tells us that while you were still a sinner, that's the other side, Jesus went to the cross for you and for me didn't vilify us, didn't turn us into enemies. He loved us, which means even if you think somebody is making a choice that you believe is sin, food sacrifice to idols, you choose love. One more thing to resolve. When I don't understand someone's stance and I find it bugging me, I will seek to hear their story. Can you pre-commit to that? If if our lack of agreement bugs me so much, then I will get to know somebody and I'll find out their story and why they stand where they stand. All right, Crosswinds, I love that you are so good at this already. How great. We get to worship with people who are different than us, think different, read scripture and interpret it different. I, I was talking about this sorting thing a few weeks ago with a pastor from another church. He was lamenting this sorting that is happening and he asked about us and I said, oh, uh, not crosswinds, we're not sorted, we're assorted. We have a wide assortment of views and passions. Uh, and I will say, while I don't agree with all of you, I don't even agree with most of you, I love, <laughs> I love that I get to worship with you and study the Bible with you. And when we disagree, you accept me, you embrace me, you love me. And, and that's what most of us want in a church family. And the reason that we can be assorted is because of what we do agree on, Jesus. All right, will you stand with me? Let's pray together before we go. And hey, as we get ready to pray today, uh, if this morning as you were listening, you were like, wait a second, there's more than one understanding of the Bible out there on same-sex relationships, uh, we are offering a workshop on Monday, May 15th. Matt Van Gent, our executive pastor, is going to be walking us through some of these understandings from an academic perspective. So uh, this might be worth coming and, and listening to somebody explain another perspective than one that you've maybe grown up hearing. So... All right, let's pray together. God, I am so grateful that I get to be a part of a church that is assorted. All sorts of different thoughts and views and opinions. And God, I love that, that this would be a place in the middle of that that would say, I don't condemn and I don't affirm, I just accept. God, would you help us grow in that even more? You have modeled that kind of acceptance for us in Jesus. May we be that with each other. And all God's people said, 
Amen. Thanks for coming today. We'll see you next week.